0: Poetry Says fans, this is Alice with another episode for you. This one I'm very excited to share with you is an interview with Anupama Pilbara. You might know Anupama through her work with the Suburban Review where she's editor, but she's also just got her first, I believe it's her first book out, called Body Poems, which is part of the Decibel series from Vagabond Press. Um, very very exciting that that book is out in the world it's got some amazing poems in it and yeah highly recommend you seek that one out it was a bit of a bittersweet chat with Anupama because she was on the eve of leaving Melbourne she was packing up her stuff putting things in boxes to head up to Newcastle and uh, yeah it was bittersweet for me because I had seen her at readings and little poetry circles that I've been to over the last couple of years, but as is my want, I tend to kind of, it takes me a while to get up the guts to introduce myself to somebody, and so I kind of um, knew her but hadn't really had a proper conversation, and then throughout the course of this interview, I... Am kind of realizing like oh this is someone I easily could have been friends with this whole time if I would have just gotten over myself and gone up and said hello so it's kind of a, a testament to that and hopefully it encourages you to uh, not be like me and if you see someone around a lot at poetry events and you like them go up and say hi don't be shy <laughs> so we touch on not only the process of leaving Melbourne and what the differences might be between Melbourne poetry scene and other scenes, but um, we talk a bit about a reading that we both did up in Sydney where Anupama read from Body Poems and just her work in general, talking about um, some of the poets that she's drawn inspiration from, including some Indian poets writing in English. And also the influence of the other field that Anupama is familiar with, pure mathematics. And we talk about that in terms of why poetry is important and why a field like pure mathematics is important and why we always have to add to that question as well. And then towards the end, we talk about this idea that I've touched on before in speaking about the poet Jack Spicer, the question of where poems come from. And whether you can just wait around for them to show up and have that Jack Spicer moment or whether it's a question of sitting down, having a regular practice and more grinding it out. So I really hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening as always. It's always weird starting these. I'm always like, how do you go from a conversation that's not being recorded to one that is <laughs>
1: um
0: but yeah i'm just so happy that you had time to chat to me before you leave
2: you're leaving melbourne it's yeah. crazy i think part of me is really worried that i'm gonna lose like the poetry community over here but then it's just an opportunity to like find a new poetry community in newcastle
0: yeah, yeah well newcastle has obviously the writers festival mm. so that's got to be something Mm. Um,
2: they've actually got two writers festivals
0: there you go (laughs) yeah i'm sure like coming from canberra which i would assume is sort of a similar size in terms of the poetry scene um there's probably something really great about having just a few things that you can really like focus on as well Mm. um one of the things about being in melbourne is like you look at the calendar and you're like well i could just quit my job and do poetry forever (laughs) (laughs) just like attend poetry events forever Mm. yeah there's a lot there's a lot going on Mm. um yeah so so what is going through your mind as you're packing boxes and thinking about
2: well i've got i've packed four boxes so far and two of them are, are my books so 50% so far it's books. Um, I'm trying not to be sentimental about packing mm-hmm. because I really struggle with like sentimentalism because I've moved a lot and like have had to pack up all my stuff so many times. And um, I really get like sidetracked by like memories attached to stuff. Anyway, I was going through my book collection and deciding what to bring with me. And I was like, should I bring the stuff that I really like, like the books that I really love, or should I just bring all the books that I haven't read yet? and I brought all the ones I haven't read so like the least sentimental option oh apart from the poetry books because I don't have that many so I just brought the ones that I really love oh yeah Mm.
0: can you off the top of your head can you remember what some of those are
2: um I've got a copy of Alison Whitaker's lemons in the chicken wire which I really loved I wanted to have a copy with me um uh, I've got Michael Farrell's I Love Poetry just because I really love that book.
0: <laughs> I haven't read that book yet, um, but I'm excited to.
2: Yeah, there's a couple more. I'm like lost in my memories, but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I know that feeling too of like I, you just have to put object in box. Don't think mm-hmm. about what the object is. Just put it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably a good approach. Just take the stuff you haven't read.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Make myself read it.
0: Hmm. And what about, like, people? Like, the people that you'll be not seeing anymore on a daily <laughs> basis?
2: Um, well, I'm not happy about that. But it'll be okay. I mean, I'll meet new poets in Newcastle and I'll make friends.
1: And, yeah. Hmm. It yeah. does
2: feel like Melbourne is really like the heart of poetry in Australia so far. But that's because I've lived here for so long. So.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder about that question all the time. Mm. I mean, as I've said before, like part of the reason I make a podcast is because I'm aware that we, we have a, there's a real danger that in Melbourne we can just become like Oh, we got it covered. Like we just do our Melbourne thing, and, and the rest of Australia is irrelevant. And we don't have any conversation with anyone outside of mm. the community, um, and nothing that we do reaches anyone else. Um,
2: do you think that's true, or you just feel that way?
0: Uh, I, I don't know. This is the thing. I don't I don't know how true it is, and I don't, um, like occasionally poets who don't live here. Well, you know, if I talk with them, they'll say, you know, oh, it's not like Melbourne here. But then I wonder <laughs> how much of that of that is a projection of what they think it is like <laughs> here in Melbourne. So
2: yeah, I feel like so far I'm very unqualified to talk about that. But you know, in a year or so, mm, ask me again. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. And again, it's like that blank slate thing too, isn't it? It's like you could, if you don't find what you Um, ideally would like in a poetry scene in Newcastle you could make it Mm. you could recreate the reading circle that
2: you do yeah I'm thinking about you know franchising Poetry Donut yeah (laughs) doing the Newcastle branch um that would be cool mm. yeah there's something that um
0: Corey Wakeling said when I interviewed him and and something that I really feel to be true from the time I've spent outside Australia um, not that Newcastle is outside Australia, but like outside of your of your <laughs> community <Yeah. laughs> is um, like you get this, this 20,000 foot view of things.
1: Yeah.
0: And because you're not caught up in the nitty gritty and the politics and the who said what to who at what launch, <laughs> you kind of get this, this beautiful, like, um, yeah, the zoom out kind of effect.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah and then I, I guess like when you return to a place as well you have a much kind of um, more focused appreciation I guess of what it is that you're coming back to yeah exactly yeah
0: and what actually matters what's actually worth worrying about in that yeah yeah
2: just speaking of Corey like his launch for um the Alarming Conservatory was on Wednesday. Yeah. And I like, attended it and was just struck by like, how much love and warmth was in the room during like, all the, the readings and speeches. and I don't know, like I've moved overseas before and, and gotten back to places overseas and have family overseas. And it's just like, when you go back to a community that you know loves you, it's just a really joyous and like, happy and overwhelming experience. And I was like, oh, that's happening in, in Melbourne's poetry community right now. Mm. Um, so that was just really beautiful to see. You know, maybe, maybe that'll happen for me when I come back, or yeah, maybe, you know, I'll create something like that in Newcastle.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, and I think that um, that's something that Corey himself creates as well, because he puts so much love out mm. into the communities that he's part of. Like when I first met him, I was so intimidated. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god. I can't talk to this guy. And he was like, ah, oh, come along to this thing at the uni and it'll be great. And like, are you coming to this after? And I was like, but aren't you like a celebrity? Like... <laughs> and I was just really schooled in like my own weird poetry worship thing that I have going on. <laughs> it's really, yeah, really revealing. Um you he going to say about that. Oh, I read something this morning. Uh, linked to from an article that we're going to publish on Bertila which said it was, it was a quote from a politician it said, there is no more political community than poetry in Australia and I was just like, whoa is that true? From a
2: politician yeah, I
0: was like, wow, that's pretty damning, <laughs> coming from a politician um,
2: in what context is a politician like commenting on
0: I know, right? It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> uh, I feel like he was talking to a, a poetry mate of his that he had somehow, um, talking specifically in the context of decisions that are made, like, yeah, and that kind of was one of those things where you're like, oh, I don't like hearing that, possibly because there's there's a there's a grain of truth in it that I don't I don't love, but yeah, I don't really know what he meant by it.
2: Yeah, I I don't know what that means either.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, it kind of feels like a bit trivial because poetry is always like political and politicized. And, you know, in times of like um, political instability when there's like revolutions, poets get, I don't know, like incarcerated or threatened because they have so much power, I suppose. But... It, doesn't really feel like that's what's happening in australia right now
1: Mm.
0: yeah i feel like there's this weird pressure on poetry sometimes to to be somehow like to justify itself Mm. to be like you know if you're going to go and be a poet then like you know prove to us that this is important prove to us that this matters in a way that that i i don't know if other art forms are kind of held to that same standard would you agree with that or
2: yeah i would it makes me feel kind of like maybe it's a there's a personality tick that i've got that draws me to those things because like the other the other interest that i have is like pure mathematics mm. that's what i just finished studying mm. and that's always held to a very similar standards like you need to justify why this is important yeah, um, for sure and you're you're always having to talk to people outside of the community to justify why it's important because people inside the community know why it's important and why they care about it,
1: mm.
2: and um, it's very odd to have to like explain to someone who already doesn't care why they should care about poetry. Like you can't. I don't, mm. I don't know how valid or useful it is to like convince someone who just doesn't really feel anything for poetry that they really should.
0: <laughs> mm. And it's weird because I th- like pure maths is such a perfect analogous example because um it's such a pointless exercise it's like why am I going to spend time convincing you this like you're not going to go off and become a poet slash pure mathematician probably (laughs) and and why this like kind of bitterness like I don't know I, I feel that sometimes talking to people not not that often um more often I I feel like uh something akin to like a trepidation, like, oh poetry, oh I could never do that kind of thing.
2: Oh, that's the exact same thing that people say when I mention maths. They're like, Oh, I could never do maths. I mm. quit maths in year ten. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> well I, I won't tell you that I quit maths in year eleven <laughs> then. <laughs> um but yeah, this is great. I was thinking driving over here, like so what are the what are the connections between maths and poetry? And this is obviously a very strong one like when you're talking pure maths what is it
1: for Mm.
2: yeah they're both like really abstract disciplines i suppose Mm. um that i suppose like if you don't really look too deeply into them you could say they have no bearing on the real world
1: Mm.
2: but i mean i mean they both do like i think all art has bearing on the real world and Mm pure maths does um kind of inflect other sciences and and does lead to kind of advances in other sciences Mm -hmm. as well
0: is a little a little bit about also showing what's possible Mm. as opposed to what's useful
2: yes absolutely um i was having this thought well I was having this thought, I had this thought in September last year when I went to an art gallery mm. and was looking at um, um, what well, was like the Newcastle Art Gallery and they had a show of um, like the Newcastle Art Prize or some art prize, I can't actually remember what it was called, but um, where painters would just send in like paintings and then they were displayed and it was up to the like public of Newcastle to, to decide which was the highest ranked one and there was also like a independent kind of set of judges who also decided which was like the the winner Mm. painting anyway a lot of these paintings were really cool and um were portrait paintings um and there was one that i was like really struck by and i wish i could remember the painter's name but it was a painting of like a man with the head of a fish floating in a room and it was like hyper realistic and um just like really beautiful as well because I think I kind of fish are quite beautiful, They're hmm. shiny, and sleek. It's a really weird painting, and it's really beautiful. And I was just like, you know, what other medium would suit this image of like a man with the head of a fish floating in a room? Um, and you know, I was I was thinking about like all these different media that we have available to us to create art, and the limitations of each of them. And with painting, like you can represent stuff that might not be able to represent with photography because well I mean nowadays there's CGI and stuff like that Mm. but you know painting can represent something that's not physically possible in a hyper-realistic almost photographic way Mm. and I was thinking about the limitations of poetry in that sense and how it differs from from prose for instance or um, in in particular narrative prose um, like poetry and what I want to do with poetry is is look at simultaneity and and um, images overlapping and stuff that shouldn't really be able to happen at the same time which you couldn't represent visually Mm. or um, kind of in narrative prose
1: yeah
2: and I was thinking you know like we're we're given um, the opportunity to explore potential with poetry Mm. in a way that maybe you're not able to do with other media
0: yeah and weirdly, or perhaps not so weirdly, that's where you get closer to that true representation of what life's actually like. Mm. Um, some days are a bit like a man with the head of fish walking <laughs> around. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and in fiction, in a novel, unless you are writing outside, I guess, the traditional narrative framework you... You're going to end up with something with fairly smooth edges, mm. um, which can be very beautiful in its in its way. But yeah, mm. yeah, because you write short fiction as well
2: sometimes, or uh, not really, not really, yeah, not since I finished uni, at least. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I uh, have backed away from that <laughs> particular form of writing myself.
2: How come? Uh
1: yeah,
0: why? I don't feel like I have anything to offer as a fiction writer. I um, feel like it's the same way I feel about music and stand-up comedy and painting. Um, other people are doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to go there. other people have that base more than covered. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Which I... is weird because it's
0: not like... Um... Oh, sorry. No, you're right. Uh, it's not like there aren't a million great poets but for some reason i feel like i i need to be in that space making stuff
2: yeah so yeah i
0: don't know it doesn't really make sense but i mean there's just something about when i write a piece of fiction i'm like god this sucks like i just hate seeing it you know i just whereas when i write a poem i'm like yeah i can work with this like this is not an aberration
2: (laughs) (laughs) um i think i have a similar thing With, you know, having given up trying to write short fiction when I was in uni. Mm. Yeah, I just didn't really like anything that I'd written. Yeah. I wasn't surprised by it. And I feel like sometimes I am surprised by stuff that I end up writing. Some poems that I end up writing. Totally. Sometimes you don't expect to write something Mm. good. (laughs) And then it ends up being, like, surprising and Mm. interesting. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I never had that, like, sense of awe when I was writing, trying to write short fiction. Yep. And it's such a pleasure, isn't
0: it? When you you sort of lean back from the keyboard and you're like, "Oh wow, I did not <laughs> know that was there. That is cool." Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Um, it makes me wonder about like you know other forms of inspiration that other kind of art practitioners have, because mm. sometimes it really feels like something else is moving through me onto the page, not me. Like I'm not conscious of what. I'm writing. Yep. But.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I did a little bit of reading for uh, an episode a while back about um, Jack Spicer, who's a, a, a US poet from back in the day. Not a very happy guy. Uh, drank a few too many wines, and his thing was that exact experience of having something coming through you that's the only legitimate experience of writing poetry and everything else is just you practicing for that moment which i thought was really limiting i was like oh great jack so that means like once every five years i get to write
2: a
1: poem like (laughs) i'm not okay with that (laughs) Um,
2: well it's probably a spectrum right Mm. maybe if you have that maybe if you practice enough for that experience you end up writing some good stuff too and then
1: Mm. Hmm. yeah
2: yeah yeah I wouldn't want to wait for only those moments
0: definitely not hmm. no that's too long to wait um, but yeah I did, I did want to ask you a little bit about uh, your process as they say um, which is such a kind of like a weird it's like asking people how they sleep or shower like it's such a strangely intimate and also banal <laughs> thing to talk about i
2: would actually be so much more interested in hearing about like how other people sleep or shower particularly <laughs> poets you know whose work i read like i don't want those intimate details
1: <laughs> <laughs> i can tell you how i sleep
0: um uh, well, i sleep on my stomach <laughs> for the record
2: i sleep on my side okay Hmm. Mm. yeah
0: but the, but the reason I ask is because when... I, I was lucky enough to read with you in Sydney, and I was just so proud to be at that reading because when you were up there, the, the poetry that you were sharing with the crowd was just so, like, fearless, I guess. Mm. Um, Thank you. I don't feel like I would have been able to just say those poems. <laughs> um... um
2: yeah that was like the first time that i had performed some of those poems Mm. um and i was actually really nervous and i don't know if that came across not at all you seem calm that's good yeah Mm. (laughs) um yeah one of those i think i i think i performed one of those poems in another context and that was semi-automatic which is like an older poem and the three other times i had performed that um afterwards people would come up and kind of give me feedback on the poems and they're at like reading events people would come and give me feedback or comments about that poem and they would inevitably say like such a beautiful poem and i'm like really baffled by that because it's all about like self-cannibalism and Mm. um kind of ugly machines and violent grotesque imagery
0: Mm. there's a moment at which uh there's an eating eating of a machine gun right
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and you know like the final image is of like the body just eating itself into nothingness right um and you know like there's been readings where i've only read that poem and someone has come up afterwards and be like your poetry is so beautiful and i'm like oh thanks i guess That's
0: super interesting <laughs> do you think beautiful is code for do you think it's code for something? Or we you think it's just like, I can't think of anything else to say?
2: I think it's that they don't know how else to like talk about poetry, because mm. I guess I want people to come up and be like, that was really disgusting and right. grotesque. Yeah. Um, but nobody ever does. That, and I feel like they never will, because it's not really a very nice thing to say to someone that you don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my sister has read all the poems in Body Poems, which all these poems are going to be in. Um, and her first feedback was, like, this is disgusting, like, this is nasty. Mm-hmm. And I was really <laughs> pleased by that, because, you know, she's able to be that honest with me. Yeah, but cool. Um, yeah, at that reading in Sydney, um, I had never read some of those poems before, and I was a little bit worried about reading the ones that, you know, mentioned like, feces or, um, like, vomiting, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm sure at the end of this reading, nobody's going to say that they were really beautiful, because they are like, really kind of... Hopefully nasty and shocking, Um, but like inevitably, two people came up to me afterwards and were like, "Those are really beautiful. (laughs) Thank you." Maybe that it's sort of
0: a way of saying like, I I appreciate it.
2: Mm. But I take it as a a compliment. Like I'm, I'm not trying to. um, Yeah, I don't. I don't want to complain about people saying nice stuff to me about my work, but it still kind of surprises me. Cause like, I kind of think, like, how much more shocking do I have to be for nobody to say that? <laughs> what a great question! <laughs> how
0: much further do you have to take it? Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I, I used the word fearless before, and I think, um, I'm saying fearless because I'm covering up from saying, like, uh, like, some there are moments watching you read it, like, I was scared i was like like when <laughs> well there's there's one particular um image from one of them where he I, I just love this so much i love that this is in a poem but you talk about uh having your period and how it clears out your bowel <laughs> i'm just like yes <laughs> say those things please say it. like it's so great to have it said but also i'm like whoa
2: <laughs> you're saying this thing (laughs) it's great but it's so scary yeah that one yeah i was a bit nervous about that moment um yeah i also didn't know how universal it was right because it's not really something that gets spoken Uh, about yeah i think i read about it in dolly or something (laughs) (laughs) um makes me feel like i need to do more research to Mm. find out how common these experiences are Mm. because that's what i was hoping would happen Mm. but um yeah thank you
0: um yeah it's super interesting about this word beautiful though because i think i think when you asked me a little while ago to to write a little bit about your work i think i did use that word at one point so now i'm like oh maybe i should go back and like can i <laughs> i don't know if i want to have used that <laughs> word now because it is it's kind of like a catch-all
2: i don't remember um, feeling what i feel when people say that it's beautiful right after a reading okay good. And that that all right that's but, good 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 um yeah, yeah. Um. Mm. I mean I feel like I can appreciate the word beautiful sometimes in my work because I think it's like joyful and and joy is beauty Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. beautiful I suppose so I do get that but I don't think of like you know the joyfulness of my work as being the primary um, feeling Mm. or intention
1: Mm.
0: Of
2: it. Like, I think the primary intention is really just to gross people out.
0: Right. I was going to say, yeah, if there's a primary intention, there must be something like that, like to shock. Mm. To shock people into some kind of awakeness.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, do you... Are you conscious of it being uh, writing against any particular kind of poetry? Like, when you're writing, are you thinking... I'm not writing this kind of poem. I'm writing that kind of poem. Um,
1: uh,
2: I don't think so. Um, I often feel like I'm not really reacting. Uh, I don't know how to answer that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I mean, I guess if I were to try and answer my own question... Um, I would say that I'm always trying to write against pastoral Mm -hmm. stuff and uh, often getting sucked back in Mm -hmm. to that because I do like to write about the world that I operate in and it's like natural features Mm -hmm. and um, it's tricky to do that and I'm also I think I'm also trying to write Against what's like, I I would hate for somebody to read my work and think that it was like, um, in any way like narcissistic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or I wrote it as therapy, I guess. Hmm. Um, but then if I'm, I also really want to tell the truth. Um, right. So I, I guess yeah, I'm trying to push against confessional and pastoral and then often getting like going straight back into those categories because they're just they're so big like a kind of a vortex
1: Mm. Um,
2: I think I'm maybe not like nowadays reacting to like confessional kind of writing but when I was like starting uni I guess and like starting to do poetry classes and like reading more poetry um I remember kind of feeling, like, a bit revolted by confessional poetry, Mm -hmm. Um, mainly just because in at least one class we had, like, a big focus on Sylvia Plath, and she's such a, like, kind of pop culture icon of confessional poetry and shows up in, like, movies and TV, and at that point, I guess I was reacting to, like, the popularization of confessional poetry, and, um, but not in an in, like, a emotional or philosophical way. Like, I didn't dislike her poetry. I just kind of disliked the fact that Confession was seen as this, um, kind of, like, oh, what's the word? Like, maybe feminine mode of poetry? hmm And I didn't like that, and so I would react to that. And, and the kind of poetry that I wrote back then was, like, really abstract and, I don't know, not emotionally honest. Um, but... No, I think I've like turned away from that and I'm trying to write into that kind of memoir confessional um tradition Mm. and I mean like I don't know if anyone would think that my writing is therapy is my therapy but um it's also not like true necessarily um so I don't know if I would call it like memoir or confessional poetry f- fully, but a lot of it is influenced by that kind of confessional mode. Mm. Um, kind of like, you know, revealing secrets. Um, or at least, you know, revealing things that aren't often talked about. Yeah. So I think that is like a definitely a guiding principle is to like write about stuff that doesn't get spoken about and to write into that kind of like... Um, feminine confessional kind of place
1: Mm. Mm.
0: and is that kind of like despite the fact that feminine confessional quote-unquote is more often than not like a disparagement Mm. you're like yeah i'm still going to write in that space
2: Yeah, yeah yeah um Yeah, I still want to write into that space, and I also want to be able to expand, like, the, the boundaries of what, like, feminine confession is. So, like, talking about that line, um, where, you know, like, the, I'm grateful for the bowel being evacuated during, like, menstruation. I feel like that is a lot, kind of, I mean, the bowel is not, like, a feminine thing
0: no and it's not a beautiful thing yeah Mm.
2: and you know it's not it's like it's like a shame but it's not a feminine shame i
1: think
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's i'm struggling to like unpick what i mean
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's all right i don't i don't want to force you to unpick stuff that's not (laughs) you don't have to
2: I just want to talk about the battle a lot.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you should.
2: I hope someone says next time, my God, those are very scatological poems. That's what, they just have to describe them and just be like, yeah, oh, yeah. you're really interested in the vowel."
1: Yeah. Mm. Love
2: it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think, I wonder if this is like a process that everyone kind of goes through too, of like the poets that you first come in contact with, whether that's through study or just reading in general. Mm. You kind of love them and then you're like oh i don't want to be anything like that push against it and then then there's kind of a returning
2: yeah yeah um yeah i don't know how conscious the the entire process was for me though like i think some of the poets that i started off reading and that like i sought out to kind of to educate myself there was always this idea that I was looking for influence like I think that I wanted to be influenced by those writers Mm, mm. Um, or at least you know within the last like three years I wanted to be influenced by certain writers whereas when I started uni and it was like just writing poems for like introductory creative writing classes um, there was always like a shame of being influenced by other people and I think that's unreasonable because like there's no way that I'm going to go through A writing career and not be influenced by other poets and so I think you know probably three years ago I was like maybe I should try and connect my writing somehow to like a poetry tradition that I admire and like sought out sought to educate myself by reading like Indian poets writing in English Mm -hmm. like some of the first Indian poets writing in English um and like was really interested in the confessional mode in in some of those poets. Um, so I think that was like really conscious for me. Like I wanted to find poetry that kind of, uh, that I was like historically connected to, but also really excited me in that like kind of, in, in how emotional it was.
0: Mm, mm. Yes, it's kind of like you find, you you don't try to somehow be this like original, uh, you know, I'm only writing purely from myself Mm. kind of writer, consciously seeking a corner of the poetry world or house that you're you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take from this as a real, like, Mm. deliberate thing. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What What did you find when you went to those poets? Were there things that were markedly different or things that were the same?
2: Um, from what?
0: From what you had been, like the Sylvia Plath kind of oh, intro. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um, well, so one of the poets that I like went and found was, I mean, I think she's been called like the mother of confessional Indian poetry in English or something like that. Her name is Kamala Das, um, mm-hmm. and like, I can't remember the years that she was writing, but her first collection was called Summer in Calcutta. I think it came out in the 40s. Um, and like I suppose in comparison to Sylvia Plath, who was one of the few like confessional poets who I'd read at that time, um, just because I was reacting against it yeah. at, that, at that stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I just found that it was like a lot more about a lot more explicitly about like love and sex and um, like kind of bodily sensations like scent and um, taste and stuff like that. Yeah. Like really kind of visceral sensations. um, And wasn't sad. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Like it wasn't sad. I mean, there is like sorrow in a lot of her poetry it's about like love and loss um but also was just like really celebrating these sensations Mm. um so i think you know i wanted to do that but i wasn't so interested in love poetry so right right yeah
0: so kind of celebrating sensation in and of itself yeah yeah just for its own sake i guess Mm. yeah we I I can't think of... I'm sure that somebody else can, but I can't think of an Australian poet who is super interested in, um, yeah, like, the senses, just for their own sake.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: Whoever is thinking of that poet, please let me know (laughs) who who I'm missing, I'm sure, yeah.
2: I would like to know, too.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's, like, a certain... um, like squeamishness, embarrassment, like it's uncouth somehow, I don't know. Mm. Or just, yeah, it's not a preoccupation. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you mentioned before we started recording that you were born in New York. Do you have any interest in writers coming out of New York at the moment or from the past?
2: I have no education. You know, like contemporary Mm -hmm. New York poets. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, no. But I'm like excited to have my mind changed. If somebody wants to point some out to me, cool.
0: Oh, I I will. Yeah, (laughs) I will. Before I leave, I'll give you a a list. Um, I was actually gonna bring like I bought. I went to Hill of Content yesterday and bought like three poetry books, like a crazy person. (laughs) did not need war poetry books I was like oh they have this and this and this I was going to bring them Um, but then I thought no that's a bit weird but yeah we will talk Um,
2: I don't really know many like contemporary American poets
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I'm way too focused on that world I'm like really far too interested in it and and steeped in it to the detriment of a whole range of other things so
1: Mm.
0: yeah I do, but I don't feel great about it. I don't necessarily feel like it's a good thing, <laughs> because because there's a certain like, uh, like what's the word? I guess like a self-involvement. Like th- they tend to write a lot about the concerns of what it is to be a poet living in America today, as, as you would, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. And so to appreciate that work, you kind of have to accept, like, this is what I'm going to be hearing about. This is what I'm going to be told to care about in this poem because Mm -hmm. that's what they care about, so. Right. Yeah. Which I guess every poet does, but I don't know. There's just so much Americana in my brain and life. (laughs) Do I need more of this? I don't know.
2: Um, I am curious about, like, the concerns of American poets, I guess, because technically American and a poet, but... um. (laughs) Also, I mean, like, I edit the Suburban Review and we often get submissions from American writers Mm. and I'm curious, you know, about, like, their concerns because a lot of the work is alien to me, Um, but, you know, that's probably for a whole range of reasons, like, that they're submissions for my magazine Mm. and not, like, poets that I've sought out for myself. Mm -hmm, mm So I'm curious, but then, you know like are there any um do those concerns align with australian poet poetic concerns like i don't know like they must have such a large community right because it's such a large country
0: yeah yeah comparatively speaking mm. yeah
2: It's
0: mm. a lot more room to move Is mm. the sense that i get and room to make like new little pockets that don't have anything to do with whatever's happening in LA or in New York um yeah that's the impression that
2: I get at this point are there other things that align uh in terms of the concerns of these poets things that you have to like prepare yourself to read about because you know that this is like an American poet. this is what Americans talk about in their poetry
0: okay well I'm going to sound like a total uh just yeah I'm going to sound stupid talking about this but but something that um Uh, I've talked to um, my good friend Eleanor about this quite a bit uh, because we both read um, US poets of colour all the time and so we're like deeply embedded in this kind of poetry of um, like what it is to be a black woman in the US, you know, Mm -hmm. which coming from like, I grew up in Canberra, I'm white, like I've got no relationship with that. And there's something about doing that reading that I worry I'm doing this like skipping over my own like uh, Australian issues around being a white woman and being like I'm gonna go read Morgan Parker and like understand Morgan Parker's concerns. Is this amazing uh, poet of color from the U.S. without reading Samuel Wagon Watson, without reading you know all these people. I just kind of skip to the US because it doesn't hurt so much
2: mm, okay to yeah.
0: read what they're saying and yeah. I feel like I can be more like yeah you know that this is this is amazing this is great and I don't have to feel also really like deeply ashamed and and horrible mm. um, so that's kind of a, like a weird circuitous way of answering your question but that is, that is something that I think I, I possibly... I think I unconsciously am attracted to that work because it's talking to a concern that I have all the time every day in a way that I'm comfortable with, if that makes sense.
1: Right.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? That's really surprising because I would have thought, you know, reading a different country's kind of contemporary poetry would be a way of, like, estranging yourself, like making yourself feel uncomfortable.
0: mm Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that makes more sense. Um, Yeah, I don't... But it it isn't somehow. Like, I feel more uncomfortable sometimes reading uh, Australian poets because they're talking directly to my experience and things that I sometimes don't want to think about and have the luxury of of being I do not think about. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there is estrangement as well in that for sure. Um, it's a keeping at arm's length. Mm. And, again, that's about being cushioned
1: mm. from
0: the subject. Mm. Yeah, I don't feel great about this at all. I'm laughing, but I feel bad about it. Um, yeah, it's a, a habit I'm trying to, like, break myself of. I suppose. I feel like I haven't asked you enough about maths because you have you've just finished like
2: um, is it PhD no my masters
0: masters right mm. so yeah I'm like I'm always interested in like time spent on various things I imagine that was fairly all-consuming you still oh, had
2: completely consuming. yeah like, yeah. Um, yeah I would say that I spent like two years pretty much just doing math and not really even I mean like not even really being a friend to people (laughs) like it was it was just math right um yeah um people ask me about that a lot actually like about the kind of relationship between math and poetry and um yeah how how math influences my poetry and When I was doing the masters, because it's like really difficult and it was like particularly difficult for me because Well, I mean, it was quite difficult for me. And then also there's a lot of like imposter syndrome Mm. um, And a lot of anxiety to do with that because it feels so difficult and you see everybody else and they seem to be like doing fine and Being really smart and yeah, anyway all of that left no time to do poetry and i think that you know in those two years math had like no effect on my poetry because i didn't do any poems mm. um but i did feel like the effect of poetry or at least of like my um kind of training in writing because my my undergrad was in like creative writing and literature like my training in how to write um at a university level like that just did influence the maths because maths is like very much about writing and communication or at least pure maths is I can't talk about all that but um yeah I felt like you know every time I was writing a sentence for my thesis I was concerned with like the structure of it and like the easiest way to convey information Mm -hmm. and like the most beautiful way to write out you know these sentences and these paragraphs um, for a document where I mean like you are expected to write clearly and there's like an expected style to mm. writing but also you know like it didn't have to be the most beautiful document you know? yeah. they didn't have to be the most beautiful sentences but I was really concerned about that because I guess like I have been trained to want to write well
0: Yeah. Um,
2: mm. and that was in contrast to a lot of my friends who were writing their theses and not that worried about you know like how consistently they're writing each definition or like how consistently they're phrasing each theorem. Um, And those were things that really did concern me. Like I was in in the last week or so, I was like really obsessed with making sure that I had, you know, just had always used the Oxford comma or something like that. Like, I was really concerned about the actual material writing of, of the maths. Yeah. And I think that came from maybe not poetry explicitly, but like an interest in writing.
0: Yeah. Wow. I bet your examiners... I hope your examiners appreciated
2: that. <laughs> One of my examiners said, this is a very dry document. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> um, oh, it's harsh. It is harsh. Yeah. You know, he just didn't really appreciate the poetry of it, maybe. <laughs> oh. Wow. So when did you finish it? In July last year.
0: Okay, right. So since then, has there been... Have you felt a little bit of the effect of the thesis on the writing that you've done?
2: I am aware of kind of the logic of my ideas and kind of the, um, of ordering and clarity, which I think are mathematical concerns. Mm. Um, and when you write a thesis, I think this must be the same for everyone. Like it's such a big document that you have to let go of a lot of like, um you have to not be precious about it, I suppose. Right. And I yeah. know I did say that I just like nitpicked for the Oxford comma like throughout it in the last few days and that sounds very precious. But I had to let go of a lot of that cuz it's just such a big document and it gets out of hand. Mm. Um and I think that trained me to be less emotional about my own writing.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: I wouldn't say that that's maths though, maybe that's just like science or doing a masters. Um but yeah like spending two years doing maths and thinking about science and and my actual like thesis project did help me to not be precious about my writing Mm. yeah
0: such a great thing to have yeah for a poet um but all that said too like maybe in asking that question I'm kind of setting it up as if there has to be some kind of relationship between pure maths and you know like what did it do for your poetry like maybe it didn't do anything for your poetry maybe that's fine mm-hmm. like um not everything has to be pointing to yeah. poetry all the time I, I have a lot of anxiety around that myself like what are you doing this for it's got nothing to do with poetry
2: <laughs> <laughs> did like stand-up comedy inflict your poetry though like did uh, you
0: see influence? i haven't done stand-up i just finished doing an improv course, so. an improv course um is. yeah i did stand up the one time <laughs> And that was enough. But, and did um, that
2: influence poetry?
0: No. Okay. <laughs> Improv helps a lot because it, in exactly the way that you're talking about, the lack of preciousness mm. and also also accepting ideas um, on face value, not questioning an idea too early. Yeah. Because in, in my paid work, I do a lot of editing, and so I'm really good at, like, cutting an idea to shreds before it's even had time to do anything, so... Hmm. kind of counteracting that hmm. but it's also just doing something that's not like i was saying to somebody i was saying to my improv teacher after we finished our final class like improv's kind of like my mistress at the moment like it's <laughs> this new thing it's all exciting hmm. it hasn't broke my heart yet have <laughs> been doing poetry for 10 years it's broken my heart so many freaking times hmm. um it's easy to love something that's that you're not it doesn't matter like it doesn't yeah
1: yeah
0: poetry really matters to me in a way that makes it really hard sometimes (laughs) you know it sucks like getting rejected or like getting not not winning a thing or whatever
1: Mm.
0: um even if you know that none of it matters at all
1: Mm.
0: so yeah
2: yeah sometimes i think that you know like if you spend an enough time and you've talked about this on the podcast before like if you have a hobby or something like that there's a huge chance that it's gonna affect your other hobbies or at least like if you spend enough time thinking about one thing then when you try and think about something else there's gonna be some like residue left over Um, so it's like not I mean it's not like a frivolous question to think about how maths and poetry are related Mm. for me but also I don't know there's like a lot of ways to break down that question and I've answered it a lot of times differently because I feel like every time I'm I'm asked it I want to have like a different answer like I want to be able to review my answers Mm. and like a couple years ago one that I said maybe not a couple years ago like two years ago one that I said was that um, like at least in the way that maths is written um, and ways that you know mathematical ideas advance. There's like a, a desire to cut and like remove stuff.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: And um, like a lot. I mean, a lot of advances in in thought in math, or at least the way that you know lectures are structured or textbooks are structured, is that you start with an object or like field that has a lot of structure, and then once you understand that, you try and take away the structure and see what happens when you take away something like that you thought was crucial mm. um, and see what happens next and and so there's like this kind of ranking of there's a, there's a lot of ranking in mathematics of like right. different structures and how complicated they are and how they fit into each other um, and I feel like with poetry just because of how like you know centralized it is to language we do that too like we take away structure mm. we were talking before about like narrative narrative prose having smooth edges and like the flip side is that poetry has like jagged edges Mm, and stuff's mm. not easily contained because you're taking away like um, sense sometimes you're taking away like grammar Mm. continuity
0: all the stuff that makes it comfortable yeah yeah you just get rid of that
1: yeah
0: yeah that's a cool way to think about it I mean I've heard people say um, that code is poetry Mm. coders have said that <laughs> uh, but yeah I guess the same, the same definitely would hold true for maths as well Yeah, because it is about that like what's essential, what has to be here um, and what's the least I mean not every poet writes like this but like what's the least I can use to still get this idea working mm. hmm.
2: often I think I don't write like that myself um but maybe that's a reaction to spending two years doing that. Like, a lot of the poems in body poems are tautological or repeat things quite a lot. Mm. And, you know, I wouldn't do that in math.
0: No, that w- that's probably it's the rules, I guess. <laughs> or your examiners wouldn't be super happy.
2: Yeah, no, yeah. they wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So Body Poems is in some stage of pre-publication at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Cool.
2: Yeah. That's I exciting. Think it's being printed or has just been printed.
0: Cool. So maybe by the time this comes out, people will be able to go out and find it. Yeah. In a bookshop.
1: I
2: hope so. That's I mean, rad. they can still go onto the Vagabond website and pre-order a copy. Oh, yeah. Pre-order
1: a <laughs> copy.
0: That would be sweet. Um are you going to have launches and stuff?
2: well I don't know because I'm going to be in Newcastle so I guess it kind of depends because it's um, a series of chapbooks okay. so I don't know if they would want to launch them all at the same time in which case, you know, if I can't make it down I can't make it down
0: right, I didn't
2: realize that it's a series, okay Yeah. Um, it's Decibel's third series they've got ten poets um, and Michelle Cahill and Demetra Harvey are the editors right, yeah. oh cool, okay
0: Oh, they should just have a big,
2: a big party. You know what you guys should
0: do? Just have a big launch. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Oh, um, well, that's really cool. Great. I can't wait to own these poems. They're going to be on my shelf. That's going to be great. Um, yeah. Have I uh, left anything out? Is there anything else you that's on your mind that you wanted to talk about? We wrap up.
2: Wow, i was so scattered to start off this interview. But I, I don't have anything on my mind. <laughs> you
0: didn't seem scattered at all. Um, yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing to be like like days away from making that kind of a move. I know that feeling.
2: It's yeah. weird. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of here's something we can talk about. It's like blocking up my ability to write stuff. Like I think my last writing deadline was like a week ago and after that I was like okay thank god I don't have to do any more writing stuff for a little while so I mm. can just focus on packing and you know setting up stuff and organizing stuff um, but you know I've got a tendency towards like procrastination and putting things off and I feel like I often put off writing mm.
0: um, one of the easiest things to put off yeah Yeah. yeah.
2: you know it's, maybe that's part of My process I mean like I do end up writing so it's not all bad but yeah I don't don't have a way of like you know I don't have a very strict practice or a rigid like sit down and write for two hours every day and see what happens
0: Mm -hmm. do you uh at times I have done that I don't think to be honest it's any more for me it's any more useful than just doing it when I can Mm -hmm. um i think you get more words mm. per you know raw hour <laughs> but um the quality is not that great <laughs> well sometimes the quality is really questionable uh but then it sometimes it's really questionable when you're waiting for your jack spicer moment as well so yeah. um this is why this this question comes up every time i talk to someone because it's not it's just a ongoing conundrum um I have started to think about it a bit differently recently in two ways. One of those being that um, being productive, a productive writer is a little bit like, why? (laughs) What's the point? What are you actually aiming for there? And then two, just having a bit of faith that the fallow periods or the times when you're not writing are also you know they're all cliches of like you're having experiences you can write about you're giving your brain a break to do something else Mm. and when you actually do come to write something you won't be running on empty Mm. and that's definitely when i say it out loud i'm like wow that sounds like a real like you're dodging yeah writing there but then you just have to have faith in it sometimes because do
2: you think you can have too much faith because i yes yes (laughs) I had this I was like you know waiting for you to arrive today and I was like what is she gonna ask me and I was I knew that you were gonna ask about process and um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and I was like you know if she asked me about process I'm gonna talk about I'm gonna have this image to talk about my poetry and you know here I have like worked it into the conversation Yep, yeah, that's good but, yeah. um it's like I think the way that I actually end up writing out poems is that I get these like like a little rock in my head. And then my head is like the rock polishing machine mm. where you know you put it in there and you just put it on for 20 minutes and at the end of the 20 minutes your rock comes out and it's shiny. Mm. It's like a beautiful gem. I don't know if you know what machines I'm talking about.
1: I don't,
0: I wanna say autoclave, but it's not that.
2: Something else. I don't know else. what the word is for it. <laughs> but yeah, a machine that like rattles your rock around on like a sandpaper inside and then at the end of it it's like a polished and shiny gem. Right, right. okay. And there's gotta be like a nice name for it and I feel like I know it from like science fairs when I was going to school in America but yeah, will tell us. somebody will tell us Yeah, I feel like my brain is like that like I'll get a little rock of an idea for a poem and then I won't write it down for weeks like weeks and weeks probably because um, I'm waiting for it to like rattle around enough to end up a little bit polished before I can take it out and see what happens mm. um and so I feel like, you know, I'm always in those waiting periods, and I would call them fallow as well, because, you know, at the end of it, like, there is fertility of, like, here's this poem that I've been waiting for. But um, I should have looked up the name of that machine, because I had this image in my head.
0: I like it, I like it better with that name. It's <laughs> good.
2: The rock polishing machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I'll wait a really long time. But then it's like, in those waiting periods, it could just be like, I'll never write a poem again. Mm. (laughs) So I could have to wait forever.
0: Yeah, I know that feeling for sure. Yeah.